वेलकम टू सिंट टॉक द सिंट टॉकर्स अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द कोऑर्डिनेशन ऑफ अफेयर्स विल थिंक अबाउट कोऑर्डिनेशन एज अ प्रॉब्लम एंड अ फिनोमिन अक्रॉस वेरियस डोमेन्स वेन इज इट असेंशियल एंड वॉट प्रॉब्लम्स डज इट सॉल्व does it always lead to pareto optimal equilibrium what is the role played by belief or information about others is central planning always better or can global result from the local how do living molecular motors coordinate how do they handle uncertainty when is coordination impossible to achieve when does coordination failure happen how can deadlocks be avoided and what is the very long term future of human made coordination systems and algorithms we are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today professor k narayan kumar he is a professor of computer science at chennai mathematical institute He works on automata theory for verification. Professor Roop Malik, he is a professor of biology at IFR and a physicist by training. He works on small protein nanomachines. And Professor Devashish Mishra, he is a professor of economics at Indian Statistical Institute. He works on game theory and auction design. So Debashish why don't we set the ball rolling with you very quickly um what is a coordination problem in economics why do you why do you or game theoreticians or economists even think about it right so l- let me start by saying that you know game theory is a particular way of looking at coordination problems sure and so uh, i can at least classify two ways of thinking about it first is uh, let's say there is a pareto optimal outcome we are mm. living in a society where there are many agents and these agents are interacting and there is a pareto optimal outcome yeah and the equilibrium of that outcome does not come out to be the pareto optimal one okay so that's that's one problem a uh, coordination problem this so coordination could be one way of arriving at that pareto co- we could have arrived at that outcome but somehow because of Uh, i'm going to explain what equilibrium is basically the equilibrium does not go to the pareto optimal outcome so sure. that's that's one problem the it second gets locked into other kinds of the states. other kinds of things so um, the other and more famous kinds of coordination failure is the issue of multiple equilibrium so there are mm. multiple equilibria you can rank them that this is the best one this is the next best and so on but somehow people are not able to figure out which equilibrium to reach okay so this so we see in society that uh, what do you mean like what kind of instance would this be so so for, so for instance uh, let's take an example so suppose uh, for instance there are two authors of a, a research project mm. and if both of them put effort then the project succeeds mm. if both of them don't put effort then the project fails mm. if one of them puts effort and the other does not 
then one who puts the effort he suffers more but the one who does not put the effort he does not suffer that much so a little bit of a free rider problem a little free rider problem so these yeah. are what is called in game theory games with uh, complementarities basically sure. you need to work together to achieve better outcomes so you can basically analyze these kind of situations where there are two equilibria where both of them don't work where both of them work both are equilibria Uh, but we see both the equilibria in practice in in many cases sure. and essentially why do we see the inefficient equilibria in 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 practice and that's what game theorists are worried about that how can this equilibria even exist and in situations like these there's always an expectation of the behavior of the other agent right. or other so agents. i was going to come to that later so in in some sense the kind of situation i'm talking about there is no uncertainty right now at least the context that i am talking about so one way to get around these kind of equilibria to introduce uncertainty so that's the that's kind of the tool used to introduce get, uncertainty yeah so to think of a setting where there is uncertainty so for instance uh, let's say both of us are trying to write a paper we don't know what the payoff is we don't know what utility we would get out of it right okay so there is some amount of uncertainty between both of us about what the payoff would be and so that uncertainty would allow you to get rid of certain equilibria i'm not saying it will get rid of the bad equilibria or the good equilibria but it will get rid of some equilibria and it will allow you to get to one particular focal outcome so to say Right. Okay. So streamlines so it a little. Streamlines bit. a little bit because of uncertainty in the in the payoff structure, so to say. Is the computational world very similar, Kumar? Of course. I mean, there is agents are not guessing each other. Or are they? What's what happens there? Yes, what's so, coordination so, for you? Yes. So see, uh, in computing, the point is that these agents are programmed by us. Yeah. <laughs> so in some sense, the problem is something that we have created. and therefore it is for us to solve it by a mechanism of coordination let's say so let's just give me an i'll start with an example sure so so when we initially built machines we built them completely sequentially which means there was one machine which accessed everything individually mm-hmm. but when we started building software or hardware where multiple things coexist then you need a mechanism for them to coordinate to achieve anything so now the so this is a problem we have created if there is only a single system there is no or if you put a very f- simple form of coordination it can work but it won't achieve what you want so to achieve so sorry just just so that one is getting it yeah. right you're saying we started with something sequential but yes. we're now in a more parallel yes. kind of world yes i'm saying in a purely sequential computer let us say hmm. there is no need for coordination input of one is output of the other output of i mean yes you, you may think of or there is just one i mean you in the olden days you would feed in a bunch of cards at one end right and it would print something at the other end correct so in such a system the only coordination actually was that if there are multiple computers sharing the same card reader or sharing Fair. the same printer then they would have had to coordinate sure so even there so coordinate again for resource access for yes for resource access so that one person does not get cut out of have the access at all get starved or whatever we will get to exactly. that or they don't write on the printer at the same time for example sure. should be the other way also that they interfere with each other's things sure but here i'm saying it is it is left to us to write the coordination mechanism mm-hmm. and uh, the only limitations is what you can build in hardware or what for example if you are to access share, make sure that shared resource is not accessed by two people simultaneously then for for as human beings it's a very easy problem to solve 
right I mean, we can we are aware of what the other person is doing so if there's one printer shared by 100 computers it's uh, even just two so the question is how do you exactly <laughs> so in the olden days the only means by which they could communicate was by writing into some part of the memory let's say say right. i am going to use a printer right now the problem is now shifted from the printer to the memory right because i have to read whether the other person is saying something there right and then i have to, if not i am going to go back and write saying i am going to take it right but then in the meantime the other person could have read the same thing and written something there right which means that this doesn't work so then what you had to do was to come up with fairly elaborate protocols which are called algorithms distributed algorithms for solving this problem the example i'm giving you is called mutual exclusion sure so it's to, so what we do is then we build these algorithms to solve this problem and and kumar are you being provocative when you say that the only thing to do is to take care of the hardware and uh, are there no theoretical algorithmic no, issues they come, they but i'm saying be. not at this level so once we achieved this hmm. then we build okay now we know how to make sure that only one person accesses the resource sure now the suppose you have two resources hmm. and the problem is we need both of them to complete our task now i take one of them and then i want to take the other but in the meantime you could take the other one and you could try this take the second one yeah now here what we have is we have got the mechanism to coordinate but it doesn't work because we are both holding one resource and we are stuck i mean this is an example of what's called uh, starvation right. or deadlock right so then you need Logics to come up try another spoke about so exactly so these right. problems were identified i think about 40 years ago i would say dijkstra and many others right and there's a whole host of such problems they were studied and uh, most of them you came up with solutions and what you do as i said is you solve this problem then you build a mechanism of describing this so that this problem is already handled in the way you write your program so kumar at least to me it sounds difficult but is it difficult for people such as yourselves is co- are coordination problems difficult problems or they are extremely difficult problems i mean i would say that uh, why? till date why uh, because of the as i said the, there are two things here right one is what is given to you in some sense what is taken as primitives mm-hmm. for example in the printer example i said there's a location where i can write and i can read mm. so if you write your name i know you are there if you write zero it means nobody is there sure so this this is a primitive and this is only primitive that is given but to me but it's pretty straightforward right at any point in time you know that these are the values so you no. know the priors and it then. is not because suppose i read a zero there and then i go back to write my name in the meantime you could have seen a zero there and you could have written your name you see but so long as you synchronize the read write cycles that is a pro- so th- that is a synchronization we do not have in the hardware then <laughs> so you build that by right. actually uh, there are elaborate protocols that you can write which to, so if i want to make sure that only one of them sets this bit to one it can be achieved by using 3 4 bits okay right. this is the mutual exclusion algorithm as it's called classically and these problems tend to be hard that uh, you know after many years people came up with nice algorithms which they published and they were thought to be wrong so the existence of the sort of area i work in is because these protocols are very difficult to even prove correct in a so mathematically precise sense so you set this all up nicely for you because you are somebody who understands the hardware side of it obviously in a somewhat biological context but as you think of your world do some of these problems resonate at all or are yet, the same proteins turning up looking to do the same thing are the deadlocks are both idle right. so what happens well yes and no uh, because i think in the kind of world which i live in the the kind of things i think about biology related problems uh, the rules and laws of cooperation if they exist at all and we do not know whether they exist they are not human made they are you know they are being made by nature in some way in you know in during evolution sure and uh, very often it is difficult to define what cooperation is and then even if you define it to experimentally measure it okay but 
at some level which is where we can analyze it at the level of the phenomenon which is very yes yeah. exactly so so in some cases mm-hmm. uh, and uh, there are a few cases where you can do that when you can measure it then you can interpret it as a cooperative behavior but sometimes the measurement and the interpretations are not so direct right so but if even in biology the cooperation is happening and can be understood perhaps at the level of physics and chemistry that's what it boils down to at the last level okay mm-hmm. when what you see as a biological phenomena can be explained hopefully you cannot do it always as a simple physical phenomena and as a chemistry then possibly you can say yes i can say it is cooperating or not cooperating and i can understand it I mean, do will, will all your colleagues agree with this I mean, maybe oh, not maybe not maybe because not because there is something slightly reductive about this right to say that okay here are some so there are no purely biological phenomena at least in this context i mean transportation of let's say small proteins from one place to another i think finally these are studied in biology and they are important to biology and for me and you to you know to, to sure. live but uh, ultimately they are physical phenomena at at some you know at some level there is some physics and some chemistry happening which translate into higher order complex systems which manifest as biology sure so now if one were to ask try and ask this somewhat factual question and clearly it's mm-hmm. difficult to answer mm-hmm. but if you look at dyne you know some of the proteins and molecular motors that right. you work with mm-hmm. and if if one had the ability and the granularity and the resolution to look at what happens there at the level of a movie right how efficient is it are are, are are proteins turning up or it's all set is it a nice efficient relay race or so so this question has to be broken up into a few parts sure. one is where you look at a single machine mm-hmm. uh, but these machines rarely work as singles very often they work as multiples and That's you would say this for all the proteins all, all these molecular motors many of them not all but there's a significant Most. fraction yes okay. uh, if you ask me to quantify is it 50% 60% i cannot give you a very good answer that, to that that's but fair enough. very often it is true sure and uh, now what we can measure for many years people have been doing this let us talk in the context of these motor proteins that we can measure how they work in singles okay we know if we think of them as machines how efficient they are we know that approximately 40 to 50% is the efficiency you given a certain amount of energy and how much work does it do roughly 40 to 50% this number can vary a bit but so this then, is just energy work efficiency energy work efficiency right sure. but then uh, now if the same machines are paired together and made to work as you know as 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 a team let us say then how efficient they are some of them are very efficient some of them are not and oh. now we are beginning to understand in some cases why some of them work well together why others don't so there are some situations where coordination improves efficiency improves efficiency there's some some it's not so good right whether they are coordinating or not is also a question they may mm-hmm. not coordinate and what are those scenarios roop where coordination turns out to be is there a way of coming up with something meta something abstract here where does coordination uh, right so work? uh again it's hard for me to give you a general it's answer too general, but yeah. it's too general but i can give you specific uh, yeah. answers like there are two different kinds of uh, proteins which are quite well known the kinesin and the dynein uh, motors they mm-hmm. basically generate force in opposing directions the kinesins are known, all of, all of this is happening inside the cell yes absolutely inside every cell in your body practically okay sure. that the kinesins are at least from what we know are not able to cooperate very well 
uh, whereas the other class of motors, the dynines are much seem to be much weaker. The, the amount of force they generate is smaller than the kinesins, but they can cooperate well. So perhaps nature has built this kind of an asymmetry, okay, so that you can you know do biological processes. Some of them we are now just beginning to understand. Some of them we have no clue. And when you say coordinate or cooperate, this is with uh, molecular yeah. motors of the same family or right. the, kine- right. the, kine- the kinesins cross-family coordination, we do not understand uh, right now. Okay, mm-hmm. so at least to my knowledge. But within a family of motors, to some extent, yes, we are beginning to understand it. The advantage with these working with these molecular motors is that you can measure their function directly as a force generation event. And when the forces add up, you say that they are coordinating, which may be right, which may be wrong, but that's what we do. So there's there's something interesting here, right? And that's in a way for both of you, right, Debashish and Kumar, because when we make the agents heterogeneous as opposed to identical or even similar, does something else happen? Does coordination end up becoming easier or more difficult? And it looks like at least if one were to look at the non-judgmental world of what's happening inside the cell. Yeah, let me just add one quick comment. I mean, um, what is different in economics modeling or at least game theory modeling is that the primitive is that, you know, the agent who is participating is basically maximizing his utility. There's a goal. There's a goal to it. So it's kind of a rational assumption uh, built in there. And basically, there are two components to it. So basically, first component is what he believes others will do because his payoff is going to depend on others' actions. And the second component, which is the equilibrium assumption, is that given his belief, his action should maximize his payoff. So that's these are the two components to it. And what, uh, I mean, if you go into particular models of uh, games, if the agents are heterogeneous, it's more likely that they would coordinate, but the coordination itself would not lead to a Pareto optimal outcome. So let me give a quick example to illustrate this fact. So suppose uh, there is a buyer and a seller, okay, and the seller has an object to sell and the buyer has a value for that object, right? So if the buyer's value is more than the seller's value, then they should trade. So that's, that's Pareto optimality. Now, what happens is the buyer doesn't know the value of the seller and the seller doesn't know the value of the buyer. And so what does what does the market say? Well, the buyer announces a price, the seller announces a price. If the buyer's price is greater than the seller's price, then the trade happens, otherwise it does not happen. Okay, at some agreed upon level. Now, if there is uncertainty, the price each of them would post would depend on what they believe is the other's value, right? So this uncertainty creates a particular kind of equilibrium. So you can say that there is a unique equilibrium in this game where a particular price would be posted. So in a pure game theory sense, there is no coordination problem at all because game theorists would say that there is a coordination problem where there are multiple equilibria and you kind of get to one equilibrium and not to another equilibrium. But here in this problem, there is no coordination problem at all because there is a unique equilibrium where certain prices would be posted. But what is uh, the problem with this equilibrium is that it's inefficient. So there would be situations where the buyer's value would be larger than the seller's value. On the other hand, the price they post would not intersect. So in in a sense, they would not be able to trade because of this inefficiency. I mean, informational asymmetry, essentially. 
So informational asymmetry in these kind of problems leads to a equilibrium selection. Let me put it that way. But it's still going to be inefficient. Okay, so mm. if exposed, I look back at it and I say, well, they should have traded them, but they did not because of their calculations of, uh, you know, what they believed others are going to be and maximizing with respect to that and so on. So in general, if agents are asymmetric with asymmetric information, this uncertainty creates better. You know, creates uniqueness in equilibrium, but it may not be efficient at the end of the day. But would this be a case of heterogeneous agents? Because in a way, they are so, parties of the same transaction. Of course, they are on opposite sides. They are on but opposite. But in your case, in whatever dynein, kinesine, they are. Are they? Are, are they behaviorally? Doing the same thing? Or because it depends on the nature of the problem. Here, the problem is. Price discovery. Right. So the, the way I was thinking of heterogeneous is like one agent has property rights over the object, whereas the other one does not have. Sure, sure. So in that sense, they're heterogeneous. So, so for instance, if they had equal property rights on the object and they just wanted to share it, then you can show that there would be efficient equilibria at the end, unique efficient equilibria. So in that sense, I was thinking about heterogeneity. Right. So, right. So if it was a sharing problem, so you and I own an object equally, but we now want to dissolve our partnership and basically transfer it to the agent who values it the most, then in that case, and we don't know each other's value, then basically you can think of it trading in the sense I transfer my property right to you because you value it more. So there is a way to transact in this environment because of the property rights being symmetric. So that's what I had in mind. I think one has some sense for what coordination problems, failures rather, might be like in the more computing environment and the economic game theoretic environment. One doesn't have that good a picture in your scenario. Maybe one is trying to carry it to the wrong place, but what would be coordination failure? I think one gets the idea of efficiency, but that's still somewhat graded. I mean, you No, are... the coordination failure, you can define it actually. And mm -hmm. the coordination failure is, uh, let us say there are N objects which are working together. Mm -hmm. And you know how much work each of them can do in the sense that you can measure, let's say, how strong each one of them is. Mm -hmm. And when you measure how strong N taken together of them are, they are not as strong as N into 1. So uh, that is one way in which you can define coordination, particularly sure. in the case of these motor proteins. Uh, for example, you do see that for the dynein motor, uh, mm -hmm. which we and others have seen, that you take N dynein. Which is the larger one. Which is, yes, by mass it is the larger one, but the weaker one. The weaker one. Okay, so sure. that if you take N of them, their function is roughly proportional to, you know, N times each. That is not true for the other motor, which is the kinesin motor. Now, here, coordination in, in, in these uh, kind of, you know, problems, you can perhaps also you have the advantage that we are talking about vectors here. Yes. Okay. So we are talking about forces and you can, you know, assign directions. And when you then once you have a vector, you can add or subtract. Yeah. Which is, a, you know, perhaps an advantage of, you know, quantifying these things, which is perhaps more difficult to do, uh, you know, where you guys work. How does one solve these coordination failure situations? Is there, of course, it's a big thing and one can go on it and do a conference on it, but... Yeah. So maybe yeah. I'll continue from uh, this yeah. part. See, so along the lines that he mentioned, in computing, you could ask whether if I have, say, N processes, mm -hmm. will you be able to solve the problem in one by N the time? That is, 
Right. Yeah, but usually, if the problems are so simple that they can be decoupled completely and given to those n separately, this would work. Right. But usually, that's not the case. I mean, to do the computation, I have something, you have something, but then we have to share some information through some communication mechanism, and that is where this coordination comes into play. So invariably, this coordination will slow things down. That is one problem, which therefore it will not be. You will not take one end time, but something more than that. Invariably, would you say that a lot of these situations reduce to resource sharing slash information sharing? I'm saying unless the problem is so trivial that it can be separately yeah, yeah. Sure, decoupled. Sure. If for most interesting problems, there is no easy way to just decouple it into end pieces. So you will have to do something. Then okay, wait for somebody to give you something, and this is the point where you have to coordinate with the other. Program or other processor or other point in the world in the network or whatever. Right. And this is where we have to come with our coordination mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And when we design them, I'm saying so we have to satisfy a couple of things. One, uh, one couple. One thing is that you want it to be safe in the sense that you want to make sure that this computation will not compute something which your sequential program did not compute. Right. You won't compute some bogus answers. Let's say. Right. The other sort of a thing you have to ensure is it will report an answer to you. Right. I mean that it also gives you back something at the end. Of course, it may not give anything wrong, but then it may not give you anything as well. So you have to solve these two problems. What we call, this is what we call safety and liveness. I mean, these are two things you want. One, it doesn't go wrong. Two, it yeah. does something. Yeah. And you have to prove these properties of the coordination mechanisms that you do, so, or set up a coordination mechanism which will guarantee this. So that is a skill. I mean, to set up a coordination mechanism and prove that the coordination mechanism will guarantee that. As I said, for example, if I have to transfer something to you, I will be able to transfer something to you, and it's not that I will not be. And uh, is some kind of a central planning essential for for, or do you just set up local central, rules and they kind of make the global, whatever one can pick one's word, efficient, yes. robust, um, in different contexts and it works. So it depends on how distributed the system is. If it is very local, how it is reasonable to say there is a central authority, a scheduler, which. Transmits, let's say, this which which uh, orchestrates this coordination between you. But if it's a distributed sort of a system, then you cannot have such a system, I and mean, we cannot have somebody doing this. And it also reduces the efficiency in the sense of this word. If everything has to go through a scheduler, in some sense, you are only as fast as a scheduler is. Right. That's sense. the bottom. So, in some sense, you also lose the parallelism in the system because of this coordination. So, the ideal situation is when you coordinate, and you coordinate in such a way that you do everything very efficiently. But that is very difficult to do. Is there uh, some kind of central regulation happening in your world? Yes, depending on the length scales and the time scales you are talking about. For example, you think about you know me talking here. It is mm. because my brain sends signals to you know molecules in my lips and any in my lots of things happening larynx, and so I can you know uh, you know those those muscles move and I can speak. Right, so your uh, you know nervous system is talking to your muscles. Sure. It is coordinating your muscles. That's why we can do this. Sure. Now these are very large scale problems. But if you now go down deeper into the proteins which it is activating, so that I can move my lips, those proteins at the you know smaller time scales mm -hmm. may not be so well coordinated, or may be coordinated in 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 some cases. Okay. So what I want to say, like the equivalent of kinesin and dynein, is present in our muscles. Okay, mm -hmm. and that the the guy who's present in your muscle is being coordinated by your brain. Okay, mm -hmm. at some level over some you know length scales and time scales, but that coordination happens over longer time scales. But but the coordination that arises in kinesin and dynein, which at least to some extent we understand now, that happens. 
rather spontaneously at very short time scales i think the picture that one is trying to get some grip of rope is hmm. how precise are these things right i mean and and one is trying to reduce it to the level of mechanisms and that's why the word picture is central to this like when you have to transport something it turns up at the right time right. the other so so right cargo you, you know what i mean yeah, so absolutely so these are very precise when you look at a coarse grained level okay <laughs> at a cellular level hmm. this thing should be in this place the mitochondria should be here you know this particle should be here they, they are very precise except when things go wrong okay when your body is functioning normally these things are very precise and that's why you know we, we can do what we can do Mm-hmm. uh but at as you go down finer and finer scales we understand much less about it whether they are precise or not whether being precise is good at all mm-hmm. uh that is also a question you perhaps don't want to be too precise why would you say that because uh, because of some experimental evidence is that because it's costly it's going to need more energy it is, is it costly is it and perhaps you need some plasticity in the system that is the whole point okay that you don't want to hardwire things uh, you know too much you want to leave some things because these are you, open systems anyway these are know. open systems there is a lot of thermal fluctuation and you know there is you know it's like walking in a storm basically you know the world which we live in where inertia and all this stuff is important is irrelevant at those length scales <laughs> there you are dominated by viscosity and thermal forces how precise is the adik adil algorithms and right. how so uh again the failure as he talks about or things or the circumstances changing that makes you uh, behave differently is here i mean when you design your say coordination mechanism you have to account for the fact that something may not work in between mm-hmm. so so here so it's not that uh, the this plasticity but you have to build the plasticity in the program that you write because here we are writing the coordination mechanisms as to studying a existing coordination mechanism so what you do is you ask yourself can i build this coordination mechanism such a way that let's say if three processes are dead i will continue and then it's a great point right so if you have a distributed kind of system let's say n and entities and some of them you know are faulty when should you start worrying yes the first question is you have to know they are faulty okay and yeah. the second thing is okay once you know they are faulty what do you do and, and when should you and worry how, yes and how robust are you with respect yes. to this kind of faults so these are the things that you want to ask what's the answer yeah so for some <laughs> exactly the answer is for some algorithms uh, you can probably show that you cannot be very fault resistant there's a classic example of something called consensus i mean this is very easy to explain consensus so, consensus we are there are four of us in this room mm-hmm. we want to go in several rounds and let's say we want to choose a number between 0 and 1 we all right. have a preference so we announce the first round i tell you all my number is 0 you pick your number is 1 and you tell me and so on and we go several rounds mm-hmm. and eventually the rule is that at the end of this we must all agree on one of the numbers either 0 or 1 mm-hmm. okay there is some kind of a repeated game or yeah Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's not, not a game because we are all not together. Not precisely because yeah. we are already cooperating in some way. We are agreeing to the rule already. But yes, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we are all so in the same yeah, team. Same in some what sense. happens here? Oh, yes. Yeah, so you can prove that uh, if you have this, what we ex- what I just described is what is called synchronous message passing, where we are actually exchanging this information at the same step by step, step by step. We are all yeah. going step by step. So then you can show that. Uh, this is a very well known research if if people can spend poor if the information that is being spent sent can be he can send one to you and zero to me yeah, yeah. to fool us for example yeah, if one yeah. of us has turned out to be a yeah. let's say a, 
yeah. uh, crook let's say yeah one so, traitor i mean this is so yeah. then it turns out that uh, this is a very well known classical result which says that if one up to one third of the people in the group are crooks you can still arrive at a consensus by up this i mean third. it has to be under one third under one third and the, and the, here i mean the those who are not crooks will arrive at the same value of course the crooks are, can <laughs> arrive at whatever so the crook can also not say anything i mean he can either fail as a call or he can be uh, this is called the byzantine agreement problem right. where he can also generate spurious values and so here the solution as i said is that up to one third you can probably show you you can succeed you have a protocol which works and if it's more than one third are uh, crooks then you cannot solve the problem and how much can this is so beautiful right yes. how much can one generalize this so in distributed systems where we are signaling where entities are signaling to each other if one third or more are spurious uh, for, then worry otherwise don't worry i i know uh, so you would cringe for, at for, the, for for very i mean i don't think this is a general theorem for a general distributed uh, let's say problem sure. coordination problem <laughs> yeah. but see agreement is at the basis of everything in some sense yeah we have to agree where we are headed yeah and uh, so for example we agree on one value it could be saying that we decide you are the leader and you will tell us what to do in future and yeah. then we could do everything properly sure, right sure. but to do that we have to all agree that you are the leader sure, i'm saying sure. this is very similar to doing that sure. and i'm saying and that works only if at the most but one third is not too bad actually i mean no, but the, I, what is surprising why, why is why one third what's the ah uh, so this is very it's a technical argument but the, i think the basic thing comes from the fact that you you take these values and you take the majority of what other people are saying and then you use that and for this if there are four of us this game will work because three of you will send me a message and i will take your majority okay for that i need three of you and me so the minimum place where this robustness works is for four and this was shown by i think shostak many years ago and then lamport shostak and i forget the third person's name they generalized this to the thing this is called the byzantine oh, by the way so this is when we are going step by step like lock step but same thing if we change the coordination mechanism wherein i will send you a message it will reach you but i don't know when we are not in the same room like this we don't have a time stamp we don't have a we are not doing going step by step it's a synchronous system yeah then you can prove that even if there's one person who fails you cannot arrive at a consensus so that's crazy you know is is do you share this intuition well does, does this some of it i mean some of it is reflected you know in the arguments to retrieve pareto optimality in some of the games basically mm-hmm. so what's known is like i mean i'm sure many of you have heard about the prisoner's dilemma game right where basically there is a pareto optimal outcome let's say two countries they decide to build nuclear weapons or not build nuclear weapons and sure. the dominant equilibrium is to build nuclear weapons even though it's worse than not building it and so the so the way out of that inefficiency so to say is to repeat the game okay so if you repeat the game and this repetition has to be forever to for the, the forever so part comes repeat, be- you mean make this decision every year every whatever, period like every, every period. period so every period people are deciding whether to build something or whether to invest in a project or something like that so so the decisions are taken every period let's say and this goes on forever and and the forever part is required for a particular thread to be credible so so the so the kind of equilibrium that you sustain is like if you don't cooperate today then i'm going to punish you tomorrow by playing something really bad which is for you okay and so this thread of the next period sustains the equilibrium that we play the good thing today 
But Debashish, I, I, I don't get the intuition of this. So suppose you and I are two countries and right. we are one-one in the sense that both of us have nuclear weapons. Inefficient to begin with, but that's where it is. It would never go to zero one one zero 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 after that, right? In this kind of a repeated game. Well, so maybe you don't go from zeros to ones in this repeated ones, but if you start with one ones, then you kind of stay there. I imagine, no? Right, right. So, so maybe the the nuclear weapon example is not <laughs> the right one. Is sure. not the right one. So, suppose you you are you are making some decisions which. Will give you very good payoffs. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's say investing in a project. Let's sure. say you're making investment decisions in every period, and basically, uh, somehow the payoff structure is such that that if both of them don't invest, basically that's the equilibrium. Not investing is an equilibrium. So okay. stuff, things that you know can cause recession, recession, and, and like so that. on. Right. So producers are not investing enough. And investing and so enough so and so on. So we can we can take concrete examples also. Sure. Let's say like suppose both of us don't invest, then the payoff is zero. One of us invests and the other one doesn't invest, then so probably you get theta minus one. Let's say mm. whoever is investing and the other one gets zero. And if the both of them invest, then they get theta. Now for high values of theta. You have theta theta as an equilibrium. For low values of theta, you get zero zero as equilibrium. Yeah. So basically, there is inefficiency now. But suppose I can credibly tell you that if you don't invest today, then I won't invest from. So this investment decisions have to be made every period. Let's say suppose I you don't invest today, then I won't invest from next period onwards forever. So I can credibly commit to this. Let's say. Right, so then you can sustain investing in every period as an equilibrium too. So that's the repeated game story. It does not rule out still the problem that there are multiple equilibria. That there are equilibria where people invest in every period. There are equilibria where people can commit to investing, not investing in every period too. Yeah. So that multiple equilibrium problem still remains. Yeah. But you, but you still have the positive thing that. Pareto efficiency can be achieved in one equilibrium. So that yeah. that part is at least in one of the two. Yeah, one of the two. So that's what the repetition story tells us. So it's still not satisfying. What people have done is let me take your word on robustness. So mm. basically, a, so take a one-shot interaction and basically you have. Is there a way of thinking of the somewhat distributed systems? Because a lot of the examples that we think of in the context that you're giving are. Relatively smaller examples, uh, yes, right? Yes. So, is there a way of having more distributed end agent kind of systems as well? So yeah, yeah. So you, all these all these intuitions generalize yeah. to a, sure. a large number of agents also. So there is nothing particular about two agents or something like that. But sure. what I was saying is like um, one shot interactions would inevitably lead to multiple equilibrium. Then there is a literature about thinking about how people would select one of the equilibrium, why they should select. So one of the stories which is very similar to the computer science story, so to say, is kind of a learning uh, environment. So people have no priors about what others are going to do. So there is no belief and so on. So they basically learn from each other as they play the game. And basically, one kind of equilibrium is robust to this learning convergence, but the other one is not. Okay, right. and that might be because of the particular payoff structure that you have in the game. That in one equilibrium, just deviating 
by only you, you as yourself, would lead to very bad outcomes. Yeah. But the other one is not so much. So, so one is more robust in that sense, whereas the other one is not. So, in a way, the answer to what exactly does coordination do, or in this case, repeated games or iteration do, learning is, it, is learning. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it's so. I mean, I would say and that by and large, there is some kind of a streamlining to fewer equilibria happening, right? The correct. So that so basically, I mean, game theorists have tools to understand these things. So they, if you will, they come up with stories to justify a particular kind of behavior. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's I not mean, a system where you know what you know proteins are doing and so on. Which kind of proteins? I mean, you can't experimentally. I mean, you can experimentally say that certain kinds of agents would behave in a certain way and so on. But as a but theory, proteins are not making strategic choices. Do I mean? Do they face uncertainty? Yeah, no. I mean, no, they they do face uncertainty uh, in of these ambiguity. They do face ambiguity. For example, uh, you know, let's again go back to these motor proteins. They walk along tracks, okay? Right. And these microtubule tracks or actin tracks. Sure. And these tracks don't just start here and go, to, uh, you know, forever, go on forever. That's right. There are other tracks <laughs> which are crossing these tracks. And uh, we are now beginning to understand when they reach such a crossing, how do they choose this, whether to go on this one or that one? There are very many interesting answers, you know, that because the tracks are modified in some tracks cases. Tracks are modified. There are, the tracks are modified. The two tracks are crossing and one is different from the other. Uh, so the tracks are also made of proteins, right? Yeah. And those proteins, you can add phosphate groups to those proteins. You can add, you know, different kinds of chemical modifications to, uh, to, to those proteins, which modifies the affinity of this thing which is walking on the track. Mm -hmm. you know, with the track. So, you know, may, even I like to change the track uh, to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, as an example, uh, you know, this can happen that, uh, you know, in, in, in your brain when neurons have to grow, right? Mm -hmm. Those neurons have to branch out and that new branch requires additional energy to make that new branch. Mm -hmm. So the mitochondria inside these in your neurons would like to go there because you want to make ATP locally. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it is possible that let's say the tracks are different and the mitochondria is guided to the location where, you know, it needs to do its job. So such uncertainties, uh, this is one example. Okay, now, now the difference in this case compared to what uh, you people are talking about that <laughs> in, uh, you know, economics and, uh, you know, uh, uh, computer theory, you always the participants, you always associate some level of intelligence with the participants, right? Mm -hmm. Here, the entities, the players, as far as we know, are not intelligent. Okay, they are machines which do their job. So, how do you encode cooperativity or the absence of that in you know in participants who are but doing whose job? Like, I mean, they again, it kind of goes back to that top down, bottoms up, uh, right. global, local, those kind of. Absolutely, but but if you look at the level of one of these proteins or a few of them, you do not and, and yeah, yeah, they're not exercising. Uh, they are not exercising any judgment, right? <laughs> there is something yeah. built into them. To some extent, we are beginning to understand this, which makes them cooperate or not cooperate. Okay, so it is not any form of intelligence as far as we can. But tell. is there is there? I, mean, I, don't, I hate to use the word genuine, but is there randomness at work? Absolutely, there is randomness. And there's a lot of statistical fluctuation, but the it is possible that the systems knows what the standard deviation of this fluctuation is. Okay, and it, I mean, it's quite well known that if you have many entities working together, the standard deviation of the sum total, you know, can change. Mm -hmm. 
right? Yeah. So how does that lead to a, a net output from, uh, you know, N entities is something which we are just now beginning to understand. Uh, most of the cases we don't, but right. sometimes we do. And even these machines, Roop, uh, I think um, Debashish brought in this angle of learning. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to be very careful about carrying concepts from right. one right. area to another, inapplicable right. one. But mm-hmm. as we live and we go from being infants to adults, I mean, do these, I mean, uh, how, do they do they keep dying off every few cycles? Are these, they, how they, long they, do they no, live? No, so, so, do they get till, better? At, no, so I don't think they get better. I think if at all, they probably <laughs> get worse. <laughs> because, you know, as you age, you know that, you know, there are many kind of neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, which, you know, uh, which, which we are aware of. And many of these are associated with some of these proteins. But what's the lifetime of one individual dynein? I mean, is it are these refreshing all the time? Or? These are refreshing all the time. Okay, yes, fair. they are being made all the time, and uh, the, the the lifetime could be of the order of days. I don't know exactly. Sure, sure, that's. Yeah, but exactly. uh, so, but over generations or evolution, will these mechanisms get better? Have they been getting better? Do we have any idea? Uh, no, not really, because you know, if you look at, uh, it is a difficult question to answer. But coarsely, if you measure, let's say, the physical properties. Uh, you you take yeast, okay, the one with which you make beer. That dynein is actually much stronger than your dynein. Okay, <laughs> so now do you want to use force as a measure of getting better? Maybe, maybe not. But uh, but force again is just one of the parameters. That is one of the parameters. That may not be the best parameter. Now, what is the best parameter is itself a question. You know, depends on what you want this thing to do. But primarily, if you think of dynein as a machine, is right. it primarily a force imparting machine, or it yes. does it has other functions as well? Are these multifunctional? Uh, no, so, so all mostly the ones that I know of, the functions of dynein use its force in some way or the other. Right. Okay. So 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 like you know, uh, pulling nuclei around, making the cell divide. You know, to you to make a cell divide, you need to generate force. Right. Some of that force is generated by dynein. So they are essentially force generating machines and their force is harnessed inside the cell in different ways by changing the geometry of the of the cellular process in which these are participating. What do you mean by geometry? Geometry, for example, these motors carry virus, uh, carry mitochondria inside the cell. That mm. is one kind of geometry. Where you have an object you think of as a porter, right? Mm. And you hold a suitcase and you go from here to there. Mm. That is one mm. kind of geometry. Mm. The other kind of geometry where these motors are sitting at the membrane of the cell and they hold onto the microtubules and reel them in just like you fly kites. Oh. Okay. And when they reel them in, the nucleus which of the cell which is at the other end comes, comes, comes in. Okay. So that is another way. So this is a different geometry clearly, right? Right. So... You know, the, the, and whether these cooperate better in one kind of geometry versus the other kind of geometry, I don't know. Are these, yeah. What are the theoretical limits to some of these things in the sense that um, is, is there an extent to which, obviously for specific kinds and clusters of problems, how much coordination is possible? Yeah. What are the limits? Right. Uh, so, one thing is the kind of coordination and that for example an example I gave is this for example agreement and uh, I said that if you have more than one third then you, yeah. you cannot coordinate. Yeah. Now just to connect up with something that you are discussing yeah. with him the use of randomness. Yeah. So it's interesting here that for example I said that if we are only sending each other asynchronous messages let's say that we do not we are not in lockstep you cannot solve this problem. Yeah. So that's a limitation on the system. But then if you are willing to give up your certainty and say that uh, look I will just toss some coins and then when I say, what is my choice? My choice will be based on the coin toss. 
So the use of this is that in different iterations of the game, as he explained, my choice need not be the same. It can change. And the way in which my choice is going to change and your choice is going to change is not correlated. Are not correlated. Yeah. 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 And you can actually prove that this impossible to solve problem becomes solvable. And I think, again, the boundary, interestingly, is I think one third. So even in the asynchronous case, if you're willing to use these random bits, you Sorry, can... Sorry, just to be clear again, yeah. random bits for what? So when I make my, essentially this is where the, the protocol is a complicated one. There are several protocols. Sure. But effectively, they will use it for what is the value they want to agree on. Right. So what I propose would now be not a fixed value, but what I pick up from a coin sure. toss, let's say. So I, I throw a random value, value to you and you throw a yes, random Yes, we are going to go through several rounds. So we'll basically cut these crooks out in some sense by the fact that, uh, and the people who are died and not talking to us out sure. by using this random bit somehow. Now, <laughs> the interesting thing is, remember, this will work with probability one, but that doesn't mean that there are no behaviors in which the system will not reach consensus. For example, usually the problem would be that there are these probability zero execution sequences where the system keeps on tossing coins and never comes to an agreement. Now, this is okay for most programs. Okay? But if it's a completely safety critical thing, then of course you cannot build this. I'm saying so randomness gives you this extremely quick, extremely simple solutions provided you're willing to live with probability one but not that every behavior is good. Does randomness solve things in your world? Uh, not randomness per se, but uncertainty does. So, mm. so the same thing, uh, I was point, saying yeah. that you have these one-shot interactions where players know for sure what their payoffs are yeah. from interaction, I mean, from a particular action and another action. But suppose there is uncertainty about the payoffs itself and each of them get private signals about what the payoffs would be. So suppose, suppose there is uncertainty about investment in a particular project, and the central bank, for instance, uh, you know, communicates with each of the investor that you know this is the most likely payoff. So it gives them some payoff relevant information to each of them. Right. Okay. So this kind of uh, resolve resolution of uncertainty. Okay, of a particular, I, I don't get into the technical details. It's but some kind of anchoring. Anchoring, or, basically, yes, exactly. Yes. The anchoring is the right word. Yeah. Basically, uh, solves the multiplicity problem. So, uh, so you can show that now a certain kind of people would invest and certain kind of people would not invest. Those who got high enough signals would invest and those who got low enough signals won't invest. Those kind of, you know, you can pin down the equilibrium selection in those cases. So it's very interesting you refer to central bank, right? Because it's, again, some kind of an institutional... So that's kind of the classic example of coordination failure. So these bank runs and debt crises and so on, the macro models. Basically, People know that it's not a good thing, but still they do it. Right. And why do they do it? Because there are multiple equilibria and somehow they believe that because others are withdrawing money from the bank, I should also withdraw. There must be something wrong. Right? So in that case, what these um, you know models say that if the central bank can give each of the agents some information, which is informative to them, hmm. then they can coordinate in a particular way and reach a particular equilibrium. Now, it will still happen that even if they have, even if they believe that there is positive returns on the project, they would not invest. So, that would be part of the equilibrium, but it's still unique, you know, so there yeah. won't be an issue of coordination. Yeah. It may be inefficient, but it 
would be unique. So, so th- 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 these kind of examples are classic in terms of resolving coordination. So basically, uh, there is uncertainty in the environment, but certain kinds of information can mitigate the coordination problem. And is that happening because you make everybody share the same set of assumptions? You... Uh, not the sh- same set of is- assumptions because you have some public information structure, public uh, information which is relevant to everyone right? and you make them share it in a particular way. I right. mean, I, you know, they, ultimately there is going to be uncertainty but the way they update their prior to get to a posterior belief, that's going to play an important role about resolving the multiplicity problem. Are there, what are the mechanisms in your world, Kumar, to... So, of course, again, N agent systems, lots of different entities, some kind of a coordination, N into N. Are there the equivalent of central banks that can be created either through mechanisms, through other kinds of... Uh, do you know what I mean? Like Coordination in computing, says it, since it's all constructed by us, it determines on determines <laughs> by what kind of communication mechanisms we have put in. It's a great point. So, as I said, one method is we shake our hands and exchange some information. Yeah. The other method is I send you a letter, which means it takes time. There could be any number of letters that I've written to you which have not reached you. Yeah. So there is this mechanism. And there are a few others. But basically, I'm saying so the kind of uh, communication mechanism you put in decides in some sense what kind of coordination you can do. Yeah. And uh, the more powerful it is, the more powerful the coordination you can do, which means the more powerful the kind of things that you can achieve. But this also has a, you know, a problem in a different sense of this. See, we, not only do we want to build programs, we want to build correct programs. Yeah. See, again, it, it's not something that we're studying. It is something we're creating. Yeah. And so we have to be sure what we're creating is right. Yeah. So the problem is that uh, when you put in very sophisticated structures for coordination, they become unmanageably hard and actually become provably unanalyzable. So this is this classical whatever halting problem or undecidability arguments that we must have heard of. Yeah. So okay. So basic, if you take programs with uh, full power, which say which have and integers which can take any integer value. Such programs we cannot analyze. So this is due to the work of Turing 100 years ago almost. <laughs> but most of the modern analysis tools will make some minor restrictions on this. Okay, let's say the integers will only take values up to some number. Hmm. The rest is the same. You can have while loops, you can have recursion, all of that, and you can still analyze them. I will not go into the details, but you can say whether they are correct or not. But the moment you put in the ability for multiple such programs to talk to each other, through say exchanging some information or writing on a board where I write and you read and so on, it completely changes the game. You can no longer analyze them. So I'm saying putting in powerful mechanisms will allow you to do more, but then you are no longer able to check that what you're doing is right. And uh, so the question is now what do you do? So what we do is then we say, look, we will put restrictions on, we'll give you a mechanism like you can write on a blackboard and you can read. That cannot be analyzed in general, but then I'll put a restriction. You can write seven times, you can read seven times and that's it. So then you can analyze them. So we come up with restrictions on the coordination model because not only do you want to do a lot of things, but we also want to be sure that what you're doing is right. And uh, so this is something, again, I think probably specific to uh, computer science. Uh, so this is in some sense the kind of stuff that I work on myself. And, and you know, you touched upon this whole notion of time stamping or something that effect a while ago. So in your world, rope as a lot of these molecular motors are going around within this cell. I'm, I want to ask a question before that. So what's the range at which these interactions happen? Are they just uh, coordination? Be- between motors, you yeah, mean? Yeah. 
So clearly for coordination and and I know the fault tolerance is probably better and it can there is more flexibility there mm. isn't there any confusion about when sig- the first signal and the second signal and the third signal and the 9 million signal came by or you know what i mean like how does yeah so uh, i think so that is where your brain comes in to mm. some extent okay so what happens is that your brain sends you know so there is a you know connection between your nervous system and your muscles okay so when your brain sends a signal that you know the, the neck has to move there is a various cascade of events but finally what happens is that your cells for example the, the muscle cells may get bathed in calcium you know and that calcium is a molecule which uh, can basically diffuse around everywhere there are other mechanisms i'm sure. just giving you one example and that is like a kind of a master regulator of all these little little molecules which to some extent may fluctuate but overall they will do you know what they're supposed to do and that's how you can relax and contract your uh, your 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 muscles now uh, then again this because you know I'll, i'll bring this up because we talked about uncertainty okay yeah. this is a major problem at these length scales that i'm talking about and i repeat this because uh, you know you, let's say we think about a machine okay uh, what is a machine to you and me it's a lathe machine let's say you know lying in a workshop Right. That lathe machine does not care whether the temperature is twenty-two degree or twenty-five degrees. Right. Okay, but the same machine inside your cells, uh, the kind of energies, the the amount of work that they do, are a little bit more than thermal energy scales. Okay. So there, if the temperature changes a little bit, then you you know things will change a lot. So that is. one of the reasons why you want to maintain your body temperature at 37 degrees that's why there's homeostasis oh, but so, that yeah. being said it is remarkable that there are organisms which live at 100 degrees centigrade in deep sea vents they're using some form of these machines only right right so those machines have now adapted to work at 100 degrees centigrade right so so they they can you know they they can filter out this thermal fluctuation i don't know what exactly they do okay so this uncertainty is very real but the, the, there are mechanisms to you know you know overcome it yeah i think i don't know it's, it's a difficult question but one of the things that you were mentioning kumar is that the moment you try to have some kind of a central regulator the we are just trying to carry the central bank situation it looks like the brain is some kind of a yes absolutely master it, it, coordinator it's a master of coordinator things. of your muscles um, and your everything in your yeah. case you mentioned that it's provably uh, unanalyzable which doesn't mean that it doesn't work uh yeah so uh, 
Okay, so maybe I can take a different, slightly different take on the same question. Yes. So if, what I can ask is that, suppose I have a central description of what the system is going to have. Yeah. Assume that it's a, I have a global, as I say, I can look from outside and I see precisely what I want, I can write it down. This sequence of actions should happen. This sequence of actions should happen and so on. And then you can ask the following question. Okay, but now I want to implement it on a distributed system. Yeah. Now can I do this? Yeah. Now this is what we call the interesting synthesis, synthesis problem. Synthesis problem. Okay. <laughs> so, of course, I mean, in the general setting, none of this is doable. But there are various cases where this problem is nicely solvable. That means that uh, you give me a global description. First of all, I can tell you whether it has a distributed implementation as we call it. Can I take this so-called uh, central uh, controller whose behavior you described to me, can I take that and make it into small local guys who just talk to each other through the coordination mechanisms which we have applied. And what kind of examples do you have? So with this, this scenario of the giraffe moving its neck, we, we give you, I, mean, I know this is yes. very, so, very high the, cardinality. Yes, here the, See, the number is not important, mm -hmm. but what is important is uh, the computational power of the whole system, which is a technical thing. So I will need it to be finite state. Okay, that in that setting I know the answer. That is, the overall system can only be in a finite number of states. By this I mean, sure, if, sure, I, sure. if I need a, if I write down a full description of where you are right now and write down all possible places where you can be, this is a finite set. Sure, sure. So for such systems and where the communication mechanism is what we agreed on, where we shake hands, and if I tell, and we can have restrictions on, okay, there are four people in this room, you two can talk to each other, you two can talk to each other, but the rest cannot. And then here is a global description and you can ask, can you break it up locally? Interestingly, this problem can be solved. Mm. Uh, this is known as Zilonka's theorem and it's a classical theorem. And Why or what? Like what's the... Exactly. So the way in which you solve this is basically by every one of us keeps a copy of where we think that, central, that mm. central system is. Though... Though it doesn't exist. And when we meet once in a while, we have to agree on, you have a view of where the, where, where the global system is. I have an idea of where the global system is. And we now patch up the difference. So I know a little bit more on this part and he knows a little bit on and this part. And how approximate is that? Uh, so you can do it precisely if you can do this timestamping. Right. So the key thing is, you should be able to compare our idea of, he has some information about uh, where he, when he last met Roop and I have some information when I last met Roop. Can we compare this information? Okay. Right. And if you can do this, then you can solve this uh, synthesis problem. And uh, there's actually, the Zilonka's theorem's proof actually has a nice, what do you call, this, this timestamping algorithm is built into it somewhere. Right. But then, I mean, one of my colleagues, and I think he's already been here, Madhavan and uh, right. Milan, Sony and Heidi Bombay, so they actually wrote this very beautiful paper called Keeping Track of Gossip, as they call it. Right. How so do you know the, what the latest ah, is? Exactly. How do you keep this in a, using a finite in amount of information? Yeah, systems so this is with one different timestamps. Yeah. How does the body keep up with what the latest is? Does it uh, <laughs> too general inside the cell? Is So essentially the question is, is there a timing problem? For example, do some kind of diseases essentially uh, introduce... No, so the, the, I think, I, I mean, another I, I, way to put it is, are there are there deadlocks? Like we have the no, ability so of going after something, but it doesn't happen, and so on. No, that doesn't. See, the, the issue is that most of the diseases uh, manifest over such long time scales. That's true. You know, it is yeah. it is difficult to identify what where exactly it happened. What was the tipping point? We don't know that, or we know it in very artificial systems. How it happens in you and me, we don't know that. If we think of recessions as some kind of 
disease is a bad word but <laughs> <laughs> so if if they if they happen because of coordination failures because of producers not knowing whether consumers will turn up consumers and so on and so on and so on so like for example if you think of whatever economic theory progress there's been and not pinning you down on this but is there a way to say that over the next 100 years 200 years 300 years we'll come up with some ideas or there are some initial grains which can at least make us sure that these kind of coordination problems won't arise because they come up with some mechanisms or some tricks to that effect i mean for example central banks didn't always exist right right so they've come to be but somehow i don't know so that they make things better or worse yeah so now there is increasing focus on using information for instance right so now more amount of data is available and so on so now so what is surely known is that if you have more data and more information if you know the right thing to share with everyone then the coordination problem i mean the multiple equilibrium problem would surely go away and now what i what i think would happen is like if you take the central sure bank you're not, example you're not using it the wrong way yeah you're so, not streamlining towards the recession because the lockin is worse right so I, i gave the repeated interaction example earlier let me go back to that so not every repeated interaction is desirable so to say for right. instance if two firms are competing in a market there's a particular equilibrium which is to set let's say a particular kind of price but if they can coordinate then they could potentially coordinate at a higher price and basically have that credible threat that if you don't post high price this period then from next period on i will post low price and get all the consumers at my end so basically right. we'll go back to that so coordination would le- i mean this is it a can, particular manifest itself ma- as collusion, collusion yeah. in in these kind of markets so not all kinds of coordination is good in in, in that <laughs> sense <laughs> so yeah. it's so in that sense you need to be cautious about modeling exactly what kind of information you share and how do agents evaluate this information and so on so i guess with more information available you have the flexibility at least to pick and choose the right information and share it with agents which is pay off relevant to them and basically that will get rid of some of the equilibrium problems yeah i think one point that kumar made is this in a way this link between different kinds of communication systems and let's call it coordination mechanisms and this obviously some kind of a Yes. So, I, so at least one thing I want to distinguish between the other two speakers and economics way of thinking everything we do is through rationality so even if the central bank is sharing some information is doing it to maximize certain objectives right so that's basically the goal of the system whereas in in their case there are robots essentially and the problem is basically implementing the complexity of implementing it and and so on so so that is less understood in their case whereas our problems are because of rationality issues and so on so that's basically the incentives issues basically no but there are global goals in your scenario so so that that's the objective of the planner right to maximize a certain global you know maximum you know sum of payoffs so to say and so that that would be the central bank's objectives and then there are these individual agents who are trying to maximize their own objectives and there are just protocols and you have to work within the protocols 
right so uh, so it's not like if the central bank says don't withdraw people won't withdraw right, right? so that that's right. not going whereas in in their case he if the brain that. says can, don't yeah. do that then don't do that basically right, right? so <laughs> so that's basically the central difference i would say so why don't we end with you roop uh, so if you think of this somewhat theoretically and as an open question we've obviously thought of this in terms of different entities interacting with each other and there may or may not being protocols is there any other way of conceive of this what could the future right, be so like so one way is uh, what you know in pure physics physicists have been doing for a long time they you define a quantity called the order parameter mm-hmm. think of a magnetic transition something is magnetic and you know below a certain temperature uh, sorry above a certain temperature it's not magnetic anymore uh, this is a, a let's say a magnetic transition where you have something called the order parameter Right. In this case, it happens to be the magnetization of the of the material which you are looking at, and the interesting point here is that you have something called a magnetic field, which is just because by definition it's a field. It exists over long distances. So it's some kind space. of a continuous field. It's like it's a continuum, and right. this field is the one who tells all those little magnets to align, uh, you know, beyond a certain temperature. So this is how you can bring in cooperativity. uh you know in, in physics and this is theoretically understood how these phase transitions happen first order phase transitions second order phase transitions so so the equivalent of this order parameter mm-hmm. in this case let's say magnetization uh when you have when you talk about uh, you know uh, water freezing right the order parameter is the difference in densities across the two states we I mean, at least i do not know what the equivalent of this order parameter is in biology so in a way roop this is there are some thresholds below or above which yes um, there are some thresholds uh, 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 the point being at least in the magnetic uh, example that i gave you that there is something which you know which, which exists over long distances like a field okay And, and therefore, it can coordinate be, different. These could be in your situation, Tavashish, where there could be thresholds of interest rates or yeah, yeah, yeah. returns so, so, so above I, or below which the absolutely. reaction is very different. I mean, the kind of uh, stable equilibrium people converse to, in some sense, let's say the central bank example, is basically the cutoff type. So there is right. a particular cutoff threshold below which. You do the right thing, and above which you do not invest. For instance, so anything similar in your so, world. I mean, I can't offhand uh, think of. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we'll come up with something, and then we'll just yep. throw it to you to give us an algorithm for it later on. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to all of you for making it, and we we'll look forward to having you soon again. Thank, Thank you. you so Thank much. You. Take care. Thank you.